Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey everyone, welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy along with my co-host of the podcast, my partner in life and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Thank you, Sean. It's so great to be back at our kitchen table with all of our listeners. And today we have a real treat. We're going to, first of all, we can't forget about the queen and everything that's happened there. We're still doing royal news, could, whether you like it or not. We the queen, but um, we're not going Sean, to. And, and we're going to be joined by an amazing guest, Kinsey Schofield, um, who knows all the royal juicy gossip. Um, and it's still going. But before we get there, we're going to bring in an old dear friend of ours, Sean, somebody we love and respect, um, the president of live action, Lila Rose. Lila, welcome to From the Kitchen Table. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sean. How are you guys doing? Good. It's so great to have you. You know, every time you do a hit, I almost always try to text you and tell you how amazing you are. But boy, you really went viral. Sean and I were actually overseas on vacation together all the way in Mallorca, Spain. And we heard about (laughs) what happened to you on Dr. Phil. So I wanted to give you a chance to kind of lay out, you know, first of all, why you decided to go on Dr. Phil, because I understand there's some, you know, it's, it's not, it can be edited, I guess. And that's kind of a risk. It is a risk. And, you know, as you know, Rachel, and you both know so well in media, there's so much bias. And especially in a lot of the legacy media, you know, Dr. Phil's show has been on television for what, 20 years now. It's network TV. And it's, it is a pro-abortion show. You know, unfortunately, I think he says he's Christian and other things like that, but um, he does side with the abortion side. And so we knew a lot of that going in, but I felt very strongly if he's going to address abortion, on his show, which he'd never done before. This was the premiere episode for the season. I wanted to have the opportunity to make sure the pro-life side was at least represented. And so that's why I chose to join, even knowing that it would be uh, a lot of people uh, on the pro-abortion side and, you know, very few on the pro-life side and knowing that they could edit, they had the power of edit. They would, it was live to tape, but they could cut out and they did cut out things that I said in the final edit. And they cut out, they cut out an exchange that I had with the head of the National Organization for Women, a very pro-abortion group, unfortunately. And I was pressing her on the fact that they support abortion up through all nine months. And they cut out most of our conversation, you know, most of that exchange as an example, because she kept dodging the question. So, you know, but the, the bottom line is, I think in the end, the truth does uh, does show. And I thought that in the end, the truth did, we were able to get the truth out and the pro-abortion side in on the show. And even Dr. Phil wasn't prepared for that when the, when the truth was presented. So I know a little bit. I'm gonna we're gonna play a clip of an exchange you had with an audience member. But first, how was Dr. Phil? Did he was he fair with you? Do you think he had an open mind to what you had to say, or better yet, did you get the better of Dr. Phil? <laughs> you know, I think he was honestly. I think he was blindsided. You know, we had an exchange about the science when life begins, and he was erroneously claiming we don't know. It's this big mystery. It's up for debate. You can Google it. I mean, it's nonsense. You know, biology 101. It tells you in your human biology textbook. So he was kind. Of, surprisingly, he seemed unprepared for the pro-life position. Um, he was kind of using the old tired talking points of the pro-abortion side, and I think that, that generally the media today is they're so pro-abortion when the pro-life side is presented in a, in a good way, they're blindsided. They don't even know how to respond yeah. because they are so used to being in their bubble of pro-abortion talking points. 
Yeah, they're so used to the cliches. So can I tell you, and we are going to play a clip, but I'm sure our, our listeners are just dying to hear those who didn't get a chance to see it. And by the way, you can, can you Google and get the whole the whole thing, I, I suppose. Um, here's what I thought after I saw it, Lila. I thought, who is the producer that decided that they should call live action and bring in Lila Rose. Um, I thought maybe that guy might, or a woman might be fired by now because <laughs> um, they, they picked the right, they picked, I mean, they couldn't have picked a better for the pro life side person um, to come forward. And I think this exchange that we're going to play right now between you and an audience member is a perfect example of how you approach the issue of life in a way that so many pro-lifers can learn from because you always come forward with compassion first um, and facts. And you kept your cool, you were cool, calm and collective. And it was super impressive. And I think in the end, um, extremely powerful. So let's play that and let, let, let our listeners hear what happened. You have no empathy. Uh, abortion is devastating for, to women's mental health. No one talks about that. The year after a woman has you an abortion, it's really like the, the year after a woman have to have the child. Like, what kind of trauma is the that? Trauma is from the trauma is from the rape. The trauma is from the rape. The child's an innocent party there. The child it, is not gener- It's not there. We, we should not take out generational sin on a child to say there's generational sin and that dad was but an abuser the so the We're child should be killed. That's rate. not We're fair to the child. We're talking about rights. And he just said, we've been taken a right has been taken away from us. And what is next? I want to address that because our fundamental human right that we all share in this room is life. It's the first human right. Laws are meant to protect the weak. In a society, who's the weakest? Who's the weakest in a society? A child. Whether you live 10 minutes or 10 years or 100 years, you're human life and you have the right to not be killed. Yeah, I mean, it was just so powerful. And I think when you actually see it and you see the woman in the audience, she was filled with so much anger. And it, it, I mean, I assumed she had had one. And I guess what I think you brought out was that, you know, abortion is not the end of women's problems. It's really the beginning of a whole new set of problems, isn't it? Uh, That's so well said, Rachel. And And I've been privileged to talk to over the years, hundreds and hundreds of women who've had abortions, you know, people that I are close to me, people that, you know, we've interviewed and, um, you know, people who used to work in the abortion industry and they bravely share their stories that they were, they felt they were lied to. They felt they were backed into a corner. And so they chose abortion and they regret it. And, you know, their stories are so important and they're not being told by mainstream media, you know, but they're so important because when other women, especially young women, here that actually abortion doesn't empower. It doesn't solve your life's problems. It creates, like you said, a set of new problems. And then when they're connected to other options, real choices, uh, support for them and their child, uh, if they choose to make an adoption plan, the options, all the different ways that they can do that and still feel in control of the process. There's so many things and resources out there for women. And it's our job at Live Action to try to be a mouthpiece for those women and their stories. And then also to be that connection point for resources because so many women are left in the dark on purpose by Planned Parenthood and by a legacy media because they have a pro-abortion agenda. And that is a terrible tragedy and injustice to those women. You know, what I loved about the clip, Lila, was the fact that you remained so calm and so cool um, and so smart um, when you had someone on the other side who was obviously very angry, very short, interrupting. Um, and I love the point. I mean, I gave a, a, a floor speech once in, in Congress talking about the voiceless and the defenseless. You know, little little babies don't have lobbyists that they can't raise money. They can't petition. They can't storm, you know, the Supreme Court. They can't they can't wear pink can't hats. Put on on pink the hats. <laughs> yeah, they can't do any of that. And so they rely on good people like you in this movement to say, you know what, the, the most the most defenseless, the most voiceless we're going to stand up for and we are going to fight for. Um, and make sure they do have a voice through us, which I think is is so powerful and so noble. Um, and again, to go into the, to the lion's den, I I also want to commend you because I used to do a lot of CNN. And people are like, why do you go on CNN? I'm like, listen, we have to talk to everybody. We need to go into every nook and cranny because we're right. The truth will penetrate into dark spaces. Light will penetrate darkness. And I, I love that that's what you did on Dr. Phil. It's like, I'll go in. I'm so confident in, in what I know and how I can communicate that I'm going to jump into the lion's den and I will fight 
for those little babies and give them a voice. What was it like when you left the stage? I mean, what was the environment in the studio after all of this? I mean, it was very hostile. Uh, Dr. Phil did this thing at the end (laughs) where he said, he said to the audience who here, and he said, supports a woman's right to not be interfered with her body by the government. I mean, something wildly, the framing of it was wildly biased, right? And like every hand shot shoots up, you know, in support of abortion. And it's not, I mean, we're in Los Angeles, right? So what do you expect? And so it's like, okay, we have a lot of friends here today. Um, but, you know, listen, like, like you just said, Sean, the truth has that power to penetrate, you know, and I'm one among many in our movement. And, you know, live action's whole mission is change hearts and minds. And we're not going to change hearts and minds on abortion by just talking to each other. Yes. You know, those that agree, we have to go to those hostile spaces. And that means, you know, whether we're doing digital advertising online at live action or a billboard campaign or, you know, hostile media, you know, I would go on CNN every day if they let me, <laughs> you know, um, right. to talk about this and, and other things. And I do think when people learn the truth, they change. You know, I, I had a really interesting conversation after the interview with the head of now. And it felt like she was kind of a little soft to it. I don't think she, well, you know, what did thousand... you say with her? Tell us about that. Exchange. Yeah. So she, this is a, you know, the pro abortion head of the national organization for women were debating about this. And afterwards I'm talking to her and I said, listen, I said, you know, you're a feminist. You know, I consider myself, a, you know, a classical feminist. There's a lot of pro-life feminists. They don't feel they have a seat at your table and you, you claim to represent all women. And she said, yeah, no, I hear you. Like she, she actually like listened for a minute. I, I think she, had some good intentions. I think she's caught up in this pro-abortion mania, you know, that like exists. And I think she, it made her think twice. You know, she, she actually listened to what I said. I said, would you like to get a coffee sometime? And she said, yes, she would be, she would be open to that. So, you know, stuff like that gives me a lot of hope because listen, Dr. Bernard Nathanson helped start some of the most, one of the most pro-abortion organizations in, in America, you know, back in the the seventies and he committed over 50,000 abortions. He became pro-life decades later. You know, th- these conversions happen. Abby Johnson worked in a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. She became pro-life later. Those conversions happened and are happening if we're willing to be loving and firm and share the truth. And I'm, I'm also on a mission to change media because I don't think, you know, I, when the curtains went down on the Dr. Phil show, I, I just thought, where are our shows? You know, right. like, where's our, where's our day? I mean, Fox is doing some great things, but we need more. Like where's our daytime yeah. television and why is it all so lockstep illogical pro-abortion and, and, you know, pro all of these other crazy things, sexualizing of children. I mean, our, our media has gone, um, you know, totally bonkers. Right. So I'm, I'm hopeful that there's going to be a new revival in media, just like there will be in people's hearts, um, with just the power of sharing the truth and, and doing it, you know, lovingly, but very boldly, you know, without, without compromise. I love that you talk to the woman from now. You know, there's so much conflict in the feminist movement right now anyway, with transgenderism and sort of classical feminists who, you know, fought for women in sports and fought for women's spaces and prisons, you know, and domestic shelters and all this stuff. And all the, the there's just a lot of turmoil right now. And I love that you're in that mix, Lila, and stirring the pot and making people, you know, see the facts. And you're so right. People's minds can be changed. And science is on our side. Fetal development. I mean, we've been proven over and over again with 40 ultrasounds, with everything that's happening. It's just amazing to me um, how much we've been edified and legitimized by science itself. So Lila, give us your last, your last word here on, on what you, what you hope to accomplish both through your appearance on Dr. Phil, what your hopes are for live action and just for the future moving forward, especially here in this new post Roe versus Wade America that we live in. Thank you. Well, listen, I, right. I know it's a post post Roe Roe versus Wade world. Wow. It is amazing. I think now is a time of limitless opportunity if we're willing to take advantage of it and have the tenacity and the strategy and the bravery to make the differences we need to make. And I, I, you know, I want our live action creates life changing and life saving content. It changes minds. It's statistically proven to we do market, you know, best in class market research. We want our messages to be in every home in America. So we're raising the support and building the, you know, the relationships across the country for that. And, you know, I want to change media. And I think that's all of us in, you know, in part, um, putting our, our, you know, watching media 
that is ultimately and, and, and patronizing media that is ultimately sharing the good, the true, the beautiful. It's investing in the pro-life movement uh, so that we can make it to victory. You know, look, Planned Parenthood, as an example, they're spending $50 million this fall in TV and digital advertising. And, you know, the pro-life movement, we have some funding, but nothing close to that. You know, Live Action is the biggest digital advertising group, and our whole annual budget is $15 million for advertising. So we need to really up the ante right now and take advantage of the limitless opportunity that exists to save lives and to change this country and be as serious as our opposition, to be more serious than our opposition, because we know what we're fighting for. It's something so beautiful and so good and so true. And, and that's human life. And that's the, you know, the, the, the moral truths that help people flourish when we're willing to stand for them. Wow. Thank you, Lila, so much for joining us. We're so grateful for all the work you've done on behalf of this country, on behalf of life and on behalf of those innocent children and their mamas. Lila Rose, Thank thanks you, for joining Rachel. us. I, I, we appreciate your insight, your fight, your heart. And your energy. Thank you. Thank you for being with us on from, uh, from the kitchen table. Thank you both so much. Hi, Lila. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Lala mentioned something interesting when she was talking about the money that the pro-abortion movement has with yeah, the I ads they, I was, and the digital. My, my eyes were open too. Well, so what I saw in Congress was that it, there's a pro-life march um, every year in January. It's cold, freezing, freezing, and massive amounts. You know, people come for the march. Yeah, it's like the biggest march of the year, oftentimes. And it's a lot of young people. I mean, it's, you know, Catholic schools and their kids get on buses and they come in, and priests are with them, and pastors, and it's a really wonderful time. I always would offer those who came from Wisconsin, you know, donuts and hot chocolate and coffee when they came in out At of the your cold. congressional office. Yeah, but that was one one day a year, and I always I would, to the pro lifers. I always make the comment that it's like you know, once a month. Once a quarter, you see the, the pro-abortion movement come into the hill with their shirts, a whole bunch of women. It was a nonstop, every single day lobby effort, maybe because they had much more money to organize and pay people to get folks to come to Washington. But the organization that the pro-abortion movement has is, is real, to Lila's point. Um, and I saw it on the hill all the time. And again, I think there has to be some some equalizing of the dollars spent on you think life that there versus just needs to be more, abortion. Like that, pro lifers need to step up and 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 donate more to places like like Live Action and other yeah. organizations to, um, to to allow them to to continue to the good work and 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 to fight back. But again, you need you need warriors who know how to message and know how to communicate in a in a compassionate, effective way. And I think Lila is one of the best who does that. Yeah, she is fantastic. Sean, moving into the midterms and speaking about Capitol Hill, there's been a lot of questions about how, you know, our Roe versus Wade, we're so happy about it, obviously. I mean, I never thought, I really never knew it would happen in my lifetime. It's a miracle. I mean, you remember how happy we were the morning we we heard about it. Um, it happened to also be our daughter's wedding day. It was just like this incredible thing. It was, it was just amazing. And yet, moving into the midterm, some people are trying to to scare us and go, this is going to hurt us in the mid- midterms. What are your thoughts on this? And how do we message as as conservatives? How should our members of Congress be messaging it, it was, on this? It was, it was kind of like you never thought the old Soviet Union would fall. And all of a sudden it fell, right? Right. <laughs> it's a great and all of a sudden you've, you've had, you've had, you know, Roe v. Wade with us for, you know, for 50 years and all of a sudden, boom, it's, it's, it's gone. Um, and it was a, a big victory for the, for the pro-life movement. So what I've seen is, 
um, Democrats have been, I'm going to give them credit, they've been brilliant. They have nothing to run on. Their policies have been absolute disasters. I mean, whether it's the, the border, you know, defunding the police, inflation, massive spending, which has brought us inflation, their climate agenda, attacking oil and gas companies, trying to push people to do more green energy, driving the costs up for every single American. It's really bad to run on that, Rachel. And basically, these, this wasn't by accident. These were their intentional policies that they implemented, and these were the results of the policies. So what they've done is said, listen, we're going to run on abortion. We can't run on you know the policies on the economy and on the border and on crime. Let's run on abortion and run ads that say, if you're a Republican, you are someone who are, is an extremist, right? You're an extremist. And so my point with that is if you're a Republican running, what I would do is I would run the clip of them calling me an extremist. And then I would call them an extremist for, because again, remember all the Democrats in the Senate, and I think all of them in the House voted for a bill for late-term partial birth yeah, abortion. They did. All of them are on the record. So listen, these, these are the people who are extremists. They want to have partial birth abortion. You have to muddy the water at least a little bit on abortion to talk about their extreme position. And then I'd pivot into the border, pivot into crime, inflation, attacking yeah. oil and gas. I would pivot into those extreme policies from Democrats. And if Republicans did that, Rachel, they would win. Is but it effective, I, Sean, to message on how, I mean, Regardless of how you feel about abortion, this decision puts it into the hands of the people. So, I mean, it's really about expanding our rights as citizens instead of letting, you know, such an important decision, which, by the way, was made out of thin air. Um, this, this constitutional right to an abortion was never in our Constitution. So is it effective to, to message on the fact that no one's taking away the right to abortion? We're just sending it back to the states. Right. But but if you're running for governor, that issue matters for someone voting for the governor. What policy do I want in the next governor? And so in Wisconsin, we're having this debate. We have a Republican candidate who's you know pro-life, um, I believe from conception. Um, and you have and, a Republican, legis probably a Republican legislature right. coming in. And then in. you have a Democrat uh, who's uh, who supports abortion. For governor. At, at late, to, to, the, to the latest degree. Mm -hmm. And so people are looking at the two candidates and going, do I want to be a pro-life state or do I want something different? Okay, what and, do you think, Sean? And, and, and again, you and I, are, we're pretty clear on where we're at on this issue, but some voters aren't as clear. There's a middle ground that they want and no one's taking the middle ground, which, I, listen, I, I want to fight for life of conception. But some voters say, listen, maybe it should be 15 weeks or 20 weeks. Maybe it should be the heart bill, heartbeat bill at six, six weeks. Right. So that's that's one one way that we can. And this is the work of the pro-life movement is to change hearts and minds and and move this political process in all the states. Um, now, I mean, the work has just begun. Um, I want to ask you about Lindsey Graham, because this has been very controversial. And I've been very confused as to why Lindsey Graham has decided at this moment in time, just before midterm, to put out that he wants to uh, do a bill um basically banning abortion before like a federal bill like banning abortion was that 50, is I that think 50, it's 20 weeks and, and, and at, which, at which 20 weeks 20 weeks and he makes the point that um majority of the european union bans abortion at 20 weeks or less the only one that has the democrat position is north korea and china where you can abort your baby up to the point of birth so he make, it, it's a good distinction to make. But I'm, I'm troubled by that bill is not going to pass in this Congress. Right. I support the bill, of course, that you want to uh, at least ban abortion before 20 weeks, 20 weeks. Federal after year. 20 weeks, after 20 weeks. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I haven't had enough coffee yet this, this morning. <laughs> um, but the problem is he's introducing this bill right now, right before the midterms. Um, and the why would he do that? And listen, uh, again, if he was Chris Smith. Chris Smith is a, a New Jersey congressman who you might not know anything about Chris Smith, but if you're a pro-lifer, you know that Chris Smith, you the know one the name thing Chris Smith. that he fights for his life, every single Congress, like yeah. that's his issue. Yeah. And he introduces legislation, every single Congress fighting for life, which is beautiful. Lindsey Graham is not Chris Smith. So he hasn't introduced this bill every single year, every single Congress, but he decided to do it this year, right before this midterms when a hot topic. And what he's done is, you know, put, put more pressure on more federal candidates as opposed to statewide candidates. And again, I, so again, I agree with the you legislation agree with the idea of it. Um, actually, I'll go further. I, I, I don't believe in abortion, but politically it's idiotic 
that the bill would so, be but introduced. He's not an idiot. So again, why is he doing it? I'm just trying to wrap my head around. Why is Lindsey Graham introducing a bill that will make it harder for Republican pro-life candidates in swing states to win? Because what this does is it gives the, the Democrats a huge talking point because we've been saying, this is great. Let's just bring it back to overturn Roe v. Wade. Let's give it back to the people, turn it back to the states. And they were and the Democrats, when that happened, said, oh, you just wait, they're going to ban but, abortion and all. But Lindsay America. would say, no, but Lindsay would say, well, but I can't I, I want to say babies in California, too. I want to say babies sure in New York, too, and, 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 you, and you and I do as well. But what's the timing is really weird. This bill will not pass. Right. And again, you're taking the attention away from inflation, border crisis, crime, yeah. all the issues that should yeah. be on voters' minds, Lindsey Graham said, no, hold on a second. I want you all to focus on abortion. And here's the deal. If you fo if, if voters are focused on abortion, Republicans will lose re some, you know, Republican-leaning female and, and male voters. Um, and that's going to be a problem for the Republican Party in some states and in some districts, as opposed to if we we say, listen, let's deal with abortion later, which maybe right. like, There's like after time. after November eighth. Yeah, after November eighth. <laughs> and let's focus on these other issues for the for the for the um, for the November eight elections. Lindsey Graham never fails to disappoint me. <laughs> I, he says he's going to do a lot of let's stuff and doesn't do show. much. So again, right. on a much happier. Well, it wasn't it wasn't a was happy just, note, right? The queen. The queen just died and we just got through her funeral here. But boy, was it gorgeous. And um, we have. Wait, listen, I think this is the really whole thing. This is like the third podcast or fourth podcast that I've had to do about the royal family, about the queen. And I just want everyone to know what a good sport I am you from are the kid. The kind of you conversation that husband. I have to have at my kitchen table that I don't really like, like this one. But I, I'm, I but, go in feet first, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about the and queen. You know what? I, I because I knew it was the third podcast, I brought in my favorite yes, royal commentator. Her name <laughs> is Kenzie Schofield, <laughs> and she is the host of the Die for Daily podcast. And we are so excited to have you, Kinsey, because you're such a fresh voice on this royal um, topic. And so we've just gotten through this amazing week. I have to tell you, I sat and watched the funeral. I, I recorded it and watched it later with my mom in the day after the kids went to school. And we were just so amazed at the precision, at the dignity, at the, you know, pomp and the circumstance and just the choreography of this all. We thought... Did they like practice for months? Like what Years. is this? What, yeah, what, yeah, what went into this? It was just so much. Well, I just can't imagine planning my own funeral down to the minute. And what was that? Seven hours? I mean, that was the, yes. that was how many times, how many funerals did we have? I was, I uh, have prepared for this for a while too. And I was looking at my watch going, wow, I, I, I've been here for six hours. I really did not anticipate for it to be that long. Um, and you're absolutely right. It took years for them to chore choreograph this. And Queen Elizabeth had her hand in absolutely every single detail. The last time we saw a state funeral um, as big, but not not as big, but as significant, I should say, was Churchill in 1965. I don't think any of us were born yet. Um, so this was... So this stopped us all in our tracks because it was so magnificent. I was, I was telling my friends over in London, this was like the most magnificent tourism uh, video I've ever seen for yes. Europe because I just, I don't, I never wanted to leave. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I think that it's something our country, I love our country, but I think it's something that our country lacks. We're so polarized politically and we don't have that one symbol anymore. I mean, it used to be the flag, which has been, you you know, right. uh, weaponized, but we don't have that one symbol that that unifies us the way that Europe has the monarchy. Such a great point. Such a great point. So, Kinsey, as you heard on me in the intro, we've done three or four podcasts on the Queen, and I have not loved and on Meghan really, Markle. And you Meghan know, Markle, I love all, all the all we've done. We've done all this, all and you and Rachel, stuff. you know, check out um, on, on on all things Queen. But why? But like, in all honesty, like, why should we care? Why should why should the average American care about the, the the royals, the queen, the pomp and circumstance of of this funeral. What does it what what does it mean, and why do we care about for it? Americans? Yeah. 
Well, I, this is this is the hard this is the hard one because I want to tell you, Sean. By the way, I loved your flannel on the Real World. I totally did that when I saw this, this invitation. Um, but I, I I think that we were. I want to I want to say to you that it's faith. The queen was driven by faith. However, as yeah. we transition into this King Charles reign, it's hard to make that argument when Charles has had morally some really. I, I can't justify some of the things he's done. My, my podcast is on Diana. You know, obviously he cheated on his wife. It, it, you know, he's had some cash for access issues where P- Saudi princes are handing him literally trash bags full of cash with his mother's face on them in exchange to spend time with him. That It goes to his charity. But so I want to sit down with you, Sean, and say the queen was a faithful woman. She was the head of the church. She prayed on her knees. She was friends with Billy Graham. We should care because her heart was, you know, one that was that was owned by God. And and she her her commitment to her country was a promise she made to God. And so I think that that's why we should care about the queen's passing. I think that's why we should care about her and her legacy. But I that is where I really struggle transitioning into this King Charles reign, because I do think he's grown up and I do think he's a different man. But his history is so much more salacious than the queen's. Just as you mentioned that, what I, what I do think about her is anyone who serves, anyone who has the honor of serving, you know, whether it's a, a queen or a president or a member of Congress or a mayor, those who do it well, those who do it with honor, um, I think it's, um, it's remarkable. And to look at how she served, um, having served in Congress myself, I look at how she served as queen and you go, you know what? Kudos to her because she she did it really, really well for a long time. She gave her whole life to it, um, to her country and to the crown. And that is impressive. And again, she could be an example for others to go, you know what? Service is sacrifice and you need to sacrifice for people if you're going to serve well. That is that that is a lesson. But I think, Kinsey, you bring up such an interesting point about Charles. I wasn't even thinking so much of all of his you know, affairs and even his financial entanglements that are pretty, you know, shady, but he appears to not. And, and frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll extend this to uh, William and Kate as well. I have not seen anything close to the kind of embodiment of what it means to be a Christian as I have in the queen in any of them. In fact, I've said this on television, so I'll say it right now on the podcast. To me, Charles's religion is climate, and we know it's a religion for a lot of people. And so I am concerned because the only thing that is of value to me is the fact that the 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 monarch, the, the queen, and now the king is the head of the Church of England. And the reason I think that's important, and you tell me your thoughts on this, is because Christianity is the basis of Western civilization. And we know that that's under attack. And so if the next in line is a globalist, you know, climate change, you know, fanatic like Charles, I am very concerned about what that means for the future of of the values and the ideas of Western civilization. That's a really great point. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, Charles had made the comment that he wanted to be not the head of the Church of England, but he wanted to be, he wanted to allow every um, religion in. He just wanted to be the head of faith. And uh, I, I know what he was trying to do. He's just, he's, I want everybody to like me. I, that's exactly what it, it was just, I want right. everybody to like me. However, that does jeopardize, um, that does jeopardize the monarchy because it's like you said, we need people that live by faith. We need people that have a good moral compass and that are working from the same playbook that has been around for, for you know, centuries. Uh, and that is the Bible. That is what we want. We want somebody that when they are in jeopardy, they turn to they turn to the Bible and they find that scripture that leads them in the right direction. I just think that that is common sense. And you're, with, with King Charles, he has got to pull back his politics. Um, you know, there is a huge cost of living crisis in uh, the UK right now. So do people really want to hear about not, do people really want to hear about the environment right now? No, they can't even afford to pay their gas and electric. So they, that's what their focus is. Um, and I do wonder how he's going to go moving forward when it comes to faith, because he's so petrified about offending any, anybody in, in a specific direction. Um, and that is one thing that weighs heavy on my heart as well. 
yeah, yeah. the queen was unencumbered by that because she was from a generation where, you know, it was just accepted with all those things and all those beautiful traditions we saw in the ceremony. You could see how much Christianity just, I mean, it just Im- was it, it imbued with it. I mean, so it's, I wonder what happens to all the Christian symbolism that has centuries, years old in that, you know, royal tradition. What happens to it when it just becomes this global ghibli gloak of like globalist climate change? Well, I think we're going to get a better idea um, during the coronation because the King Charles coronation is coming uh, allegedly summer of next year and it's going to be scaled back. And and this coronation is a spiritual ceremony. It is a, it's a conversation. It's a, you know, it is a conversation with God. So what does that scaled back ceremony mean that he is talking about? We, I think we're definitely going to see a reflection, um, of King Charles and his relationship with God next year. And it's going to tell us everything we need to know about that. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. So I think you guys might agree with me. I don't find King Charles to be the most likable fellow. You know, he's sitting here throwing his, his, his pens in the signing ceremony. He seems like a spoiled little brat at, what, 72 or 73 years old. Yes. So my question for you is, if you care about the, the the monarchy, if you care about the succession and the success of of the monarchy, would it have been appropriate for Charles to go, you know what, I'm going to do some introspection here. People don't really like me. I'm kind of a jerk. Maybe I'm going to abdicate and go, you know what, but people do like William um, and they do like Kate. I'm just going to let this go and I'll be the Duke of something. And I know I've waited for, you know, 60 years to, to have this job, but I'm not going to take it because I care so much about, you know, the crown. I'm going to give it to my son. That, I mean, and that's why you would be, and be an amazing uh, king, Sean, because that's, that's, that's that the, way, the, the way you think. He would be the George Washington, Washington of... Who was the, never president, of, never king when he gave yeah. it up. Uh, I think that he ha- it is, has been 70 years that he's waited for the job. I honestly think that that's the only reason why. And you know what? I ha- also, we need, to, we need to remind ourselves that he was very close to his uncle, who was Edward right. wa- of Wallace and Edward, yes. who abdicated and was chastised by his family for his relationship. He really, truly loved Edward, um, his uncle, who was the original Prince of Wales, who abdicated the throne to marry the divorcee Wallace Simpson from America. And he was chastised by his family for loving uh, Edward and for that relationship and spending time with him. And so I don't think he could go that route because Edward had been so villainized by his, you know, his family members, by his mother, by his grandmother, who he was so close to. So to him, to abdicate is weakness because that that is what his uncle did. His uncle was an embarrassment. He humiliated the family and in doing so thrust his his grandfather and his mother in the position they were in, because I think that is another thing that's so admirable about uh, admirable about Queen Elizabeth is she was this was not a job she was born into. She was thrust into this position because his his her, her uncle was chasing tail right (laughs) right and then her dad died of liver cancer and she was so young and she ended up the queen so so this is a great transition into the harry and Meghan markle thing because you would think because of his relationship with his uncle and the fact that while everyone else sort of vilified his uncle who advocated the the crown he on the other hand really loved him and understood him you know there's some 
Camilla stuff in there as well, right? He he he, he was chasing tail too. Yeah, he was <laughs> chasing exactly. tail as well. <laughs> King Charles well, was. Now you have Harry, you know, choosing his the love of his life, Meghan Markle, over the royal family in, in many ways. Yes. And so and yet it seems like to me, and here, like I am not a big Meghan Markle Harry. I find them very like to be insufferable, frankly. But <laughs> I felt like they were treated a little bit crappy considering it was a funeral. Like really did they have to not invite them to the, the working Royals reception. They didn't even let him wear the military uniform where it seems like he's the only one who actually saw any action on the battlefield. So what do you think? Do you think that, because this had to have been okay. all by but Prince this Charles, is, right? This is the first time I've heard this because Rachel has been so hard on them. And I, so I'm sure. I'm sure right now. I think I, she's I, wrong, by the way. I, I think, feel like at a funeral, you bring the family together. And no. I think all, Listen, of, all of these decisions were made by King Charles. Or You do bring the family together. However, if the, bringing the family together means they're going to go back to L.A. and, you know, basically podcast about it. Everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. And make it. money off it. I'm like. Hell no, you're not going to yeah. come back. You're not going to be part of this. I okay, don't know. so what I, do you think? What do you think, Kinsey? I don't know if you've right seen there. this, but Gail King is already on television talking about what happened. I mean, th- this is why they're so protective <laughs> of their space. Thank Gail you. King is already giving us the lowdown, and it's like, you what, know. What has Gail said? I haven't heard that one. Gail is saying that there was no reconciliation, that it was just a temporary truce, and it's just infuriating because somebody told that to Gail King, who repeated that on CBS this morning, and this is exactly why everybody is keeping their distance from Harry and Meghan. I thought that they were treated very well. And when it comes mm-hmm. to the, the initials on Harry's uniform during um, the Are those the vigil, Queen's initials? Is that yes, they, the they are. But, but Rachel, I looked back at his wedding uniform and he didn't have her initials on his wedding uniform. So I don't know when, or, when they were removed. I mean, who has your uniform that they can remove the initials? I think that that is one of those leaks that the Sussexes approved for sympathy, which is, you know, victimhood has been very lucrative for those two, yes, you know, and, and I do think that they were given a lot of, um, I think that they were given a lot of love throughout the process. You, you know, that Catherine did not want to do that walkabout with Meghan Markle after <laughs> Meghan Markle sat down with Oprah Winfrey and said, it was actually Kate that made me cry. No one cares. No one was talking about that story anymore. Meghan is just so stuck in the past. And I, I'm, I'm like, you guys got me fired up. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I love it. Um, I love but, it. Let's but, talk about Kate for a second because sure. I thought. She looked. I want to let that fire burn a little longer. You, you want to keep going on? Listen, I thought Kate looked so. She looked like a queen. Did oh she? yes, yes. And you know, when another thing, Rachel, that I think you'll approve of or appreciate is the fact that she went out of her way to pull something out of her closet that she'd already won, worn before because she did not want anybody to be discussing her wardrobe throughout the the um, ceremony. She wanted everybody to focus on the queen. She didn't want get Kate's look, get Kate's funeral look. She didn't want those right. headlines. Uh, so she went out of her way to pull things from her closet that she'd worn previous. Um, but she did. I think another thing that Catherine has that maybe the queen actually lacked was this relationship with her children that we're getting to see so intimately, this yes. kindness, this the, the cuddling, the love that we didn't necessarily see that from the queen. And that's OK. That was the queen's brand. But seeing it from Catherine and William, I think, is so important uh, because it gives us a sense of Diana and it makes us remember mm-hmm. Diana. And we get to see Diana through her son's family. Yeah, she, she's so normal and her family seems so much more normal. And I think yes. that the, the royal family needed some normalcy um, plugged into it. Any thoughts on Camila? Can I just make, can I make a comment first? As you bring sure. up the two sons um, and I'm sorry, they're they're two ugly fellows. And I know... And- <laughs> And 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 they both they both got really good looking. <laughs> that's what that's what it means to be a king. You Rachel's think they, wait. You think they you guys, married up? You think they, they told, married first up? First of all, Rachel's here. You can't I'm see her, off. but she's like, oh no, stop! <laughs> right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're, Not everybody looks like you, Sean Duffy. I know, right? No, right? I've t- twice now today. I've been commenting on the way men look, and that's not yeah. what I do. But <laughs> the, the, the women, the, both of their wives are beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah, they, they're they beautiful are, women. Yeah. Um, and you know, but for but for the crown, I don't think they would have married. Well, that you know well. what? They actually were. Here's the here's the thing. Oh, money, maybe it's money too. I don't know. They didn't age well. They actually yeah. were both really cute when Beautiful. they were young. Yeah. And they were right, and then yeah. something they didn't age well. And the Every- wives are aging 
beautifully. Like and I, so I think it's just making them look the, not the so husband good. aged okay. poorly. Let's <laughs> talk about somebody else who's aging, Camila. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's have you this talk is what a little you get bit when about I joined what this Rachel is the segue queen. <laughs> let's yes. talk about somebody else that's aging bad, Camila. Uh, yeah. I think that she um, she has got to be petrified right now because they are on this ride of everybody respecting the queen and uh, everybody excited to see the King Charles reign. But you and I, we both know that the British media who I, you know, I, I do enjoy British media and American media too, I guess we all do this. We build them up to tear them down. So they are having their moment right now where everyone is excited for King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla. But the reality is, is that, the Crown season five is coming out in November and it is rehashing the Diana drama. It is rehashing the fact that, you know, um, Prince Charles was off with Camilla living their best lives when Diana was killed in a car accident and they had to hold back and not marry because they didn't want to offend anybody. Um, and really, truly, uh, an entire new generation is being introduced to this drama that we grew up with just around us. And it's not, the Crown is not kind to Camilla and Charles and I last season, season four, they had to turn off their social media comments because so many people were attacking them over it. Um, and so How I important has the crown been in sort of keeping interests of the younger generations in, in the market? And how does 100 percent? Does the royal family, has they ever commented on it? Do they do they like it? Well, I heard that the Queen would watch it on a projector, and she loved the first two seasons, um, where she is played by Claire That's Foy. That's so interesting. Yeah, it, it, she's played by Claire Foy, and and Claire Foy did a really beautiful job with her. Agreed. Um, and it's when we get into the older queens that I'm like, she's not that. She was never this nasty and mean. Like who who ha- who had an issue with her that they wrote her this way? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I know that the, the, I've heard that the Queen watched it on a projector. Um, Prince Philip allegedly said, "I don't watch that." C-R-A-P. I don't know if you can say that on your podcast. So yeah, I won't. you can. You I can. I don't watch that. You know, he said that publicly, but I think he probably did. Prince Harry has said that he does watch it and considers it, f- it fiction, so it's fine. But we don't know. We don't know about William and Catherine. However, I do know that they watched their Lifetime movie and loved it. So I've got to assume they've watched The Crown. <laughs> What's the, the Lifetime? Like there was a Lifetime movie. About television that. for women. Lifetime? Yes, yeah, they are the same. <laughs> very, <laughs> very. Um, uh, creatively scripted movie about them and they thought it was cute (laughs) okay so now we're going to get into something else i'm going to play a clip for you because i found this really interesting and i want because i know you're so in touch with so many people back in england and 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 the british you know sort of point of view on things as well as the american point of view so there's this exchange that was so fascinating between don lemon and um a, a another sort of royal is she a royal historian She's a uh, royal commentator. I, I wish I could tell you her name. I know exactly what you're talking about that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. She's a business consultant. She lives in Washington, D.C., and she talks about the royals a lot. Yes, her name is Hillary Fordwich, right? Yeah. And um, let's just play this exchange. I okay. like to, because uh, I'll just give a little bit of, I'll just play the thing, and then we'll have you come on the other side. All awesome. right, let's go. And then you have the, those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism and they're wondering you know 100 billion dollars 24 billion dollars here and there 500 million there some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering why are we suffering when you are you know you have all of this vast wealth those are legitimate concerns well i think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it though what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain where was the beginning of the supply chain that was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished sla- uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages. Absolutely. That's where they should start. 
All right. Your thoughts? I thought that was so great. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we missed the most important part where Don Lemon tucks his tail between his legs and is like, oh, OK, that's interesting. Uh, and then wants to move right <laughs> on. Right. Um, I, my my wow. reaction is, yeah, a lot of people are uh, demanding things without do, opening a history book. You know, I don't know her last name, but Sunny from The View. Go, I mean, it, Queen Elizabeth had been dead for maybe 24 hours when Sunny started saying similar things on The View. I, I, I thought that was totally disrespectful. But open a history book. Uh, what We don't have to be outraged about everything. Sometimes we can just be sad that a woman gave, you know, 90 years of her life to her country and she's no longer with us. Um, and I just think that that sometimes the liberal media look for a storm when there isn't one because there we know CNN is floundering in their ratings and they're desperate for any sort of reason for somebody to turn them on. Um, and I just that that exchange was incredible. Open up a history book before you start demanding things and have a better understanding of um, of what you're talking about. You do you do you really think Queen Elizabeth? had anything to do with any of any of that? No, she like I said, she was thrust into this position because somebody else quit their job. Um, and she was she never had slaves. So why are we going after her? It's just I, I don't no one in my family did. I don't know anybody that did. So I, I don't think that it's a conversation that needs to continue. I think in a lot of ways, I shut this down. I think there was some some concern a little bit on the on the side of the royal family. Um, I think because of the visit that Kate and William made to the Caribbean. Yes, Am yes, I right? Yes, yes. Well, also, I mean, the problem, I would say, too, the the the, the Caribbean, that was an issue. But really, when the, Harry the, and Meghan... protesters, down, right? What, yes. The protesters. Pro, protesters were, it, it just didn't look good with, when they were standing outside of the, the Jeep, which, honestly, they were just trying to recreate a moment that Queen Elizabeth had had there, a similar moment. It wasn't their idea. There were protesters. There were pictures of them on the other side of a gate with people clamoring to meet them. But um, th that that was it was just poorly, poorly planned, poorly photographed. It was poorly documented. Um, and I don't think that they'll make that mistake in the future. But really, I think the race we would not have an issue with race whatsoever had Harry and Meghan not sat down with Oprah right. and opened up the mystery box of who's the royal racist. That truly is what this all boils down to. Um, but I'm so that, glad you said that because that's how I feel it. I, I feel like that that maybe they thought when they brought you know when this biracial woman was coming into the family that that would actually sort of unite the commonwealth and in yes. fact she's as you said actually created more tension and racial animosity that was never really there before and it's such a dangerous time because i don't know if you remember this but when she was when she sat down and had that did that interview with oprah as a country we were so stressed because we were going through the George Floyd riots where people were just randomly burning down T-Mobiles, you know, and and we were scared to leave our we could. First of all, we were like not supposed to leave our homes because we were in the middle of a plague. But second of all, we were fearful to leave our homes because people were rioting in the streets and setting things on fire. And Megan is sitting down talking to Oprah saying, yeah, they were talking about the color of his skin. So just stoking flames on a country yes. that was already engulfed in racial tension. Yeah. And, and I, I haven't heard anything about racism within the royal family. Um, but before that, uh, the queen mother had made some, you know, unfortunate comments about uh, Prince Philip's heritage, but there were no indications that the royal family had any issue in any issues otherwise with race. Um, and so I think that she's done them a total disservice and it, it, they're very dangerous in going into that territory because now there's a question mark over everyone's head. Charles, didn't Camilla, they say it was Prince maybe Camilla? Is that, is that the latest so that, that there, there's Tom so Bauer said that. Yeah. Tom Bauer well, said that, but previously it was reported to be King Charles. The cut interview that Megan just did alludes to the fact that it's King Charles and she's got a variety magazine coming out soon that they postponed due to the funeral, but it's coming out soon where she could allude to it being Charles. Charles again. I mean, that's why that's so dangerous to stay in contact with them. It's so dangerous not to put distance between you and them because she talks and yeah. she approves these these articles like the Cut magazine, which suggests it's Charles. And uh, originally it was um, suggested to be 
uh, and the Princess Royal. So it, it it's evolved. It was and the Princess Royal, then Charles, then Camilla, and now it's back to Charles. Um, it's such. But- a, it, the point is that it's such a, a huge charge to make it against somebody, and then she yes. leaves it. She lingers like. Who could it be? And like, it smears everybody. Yes. If you, if you have a serious racial charge, then damn it, name the person. And exactly. if you don't have a serious racial charge, then shut your mouth. And by the way, her babies are whiter than mine. I know so, they are very. Yes. <laughs> like, why are we talking? She accused the British press of calling her her babies the N word. I mean, it's just it's all too much. So now before we and we're getting towards the end of this, I want to get to this because it's so important. It's claimed now that at before she leaves London, she has requested a meeting with King Charles. Do you believe that's true? Why would she do it? Will he say yes? And is this about this racial charge about what color is the baby going to be? I believe that they're home now in Montecito. I I, I flew back yesterday and whispers were that they were come come in my way too. So I believe that they are already home in Montecito, California. Um, I do believe if that were true, Charles would meet with them because it is my understanding that he is desperate to shut them up. So if she did request a meeting, it likely happened. I don't think that she actually requested the meeting. Um, I think that like I said, victimhood is very lucrative and she already has things in the works. There are nine podcast episodes that have yet to be released. She's got a variety magazine cover cover coming this way. She had to postpone a sit down with Jimmy Fallon because she, from what my sources are saying, she's looking to secure the guest host spot for when Jimmy takes vacation. So she wants to go on there as a guest, see how they, they want to see NBC wants to see how she works. And she Can wants have to her sit, host the show while yes, Jimmy's to on sit in for Jimmy Fallon when wow. he takes vacation. And so it's my understanding that, you know, like I said, victimhood has been very lucrative for her. She wants to continue on this ride in America. It, they like the us versus them which she's created. She's creating the Sussexes are Americans with we're going to envelop them. We're going to promote them here um, versus the UK. She likes that animosity that she's created between the two countries. And it's been very lucrative financially for her millions of dollars with Netflix, millions of dollars with Spotify. She's provided um, and created very little content and she's cashed very big checks. So I don't honestly believe that she requested this meeting uh, to to settle thing to settle scores or anything because i truly think that this has been so great for her brand wise so you see so you said you, you just got back from from england i did yeah, yeah she, yeah, she was there the yeah. whole time so what was it like uh, to be at the funeral as a royal correspondent it had been pretty cool you know, I thought I would cry throughout it. I thought I would be so, I thought the, the ceremony was beautiful. I was smiling the majority of the time. I only cried during God Save, uh, or I only cried during the anthem, which I don't know if you noticed, but I don't think Harry or Meghan sang along with it. And then um, I also cried on my way looking at the thousands of people in the streets that were the streets were shut down so that people could line to say goodbye to the coffin the thousands of people heading in the same direction to 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 say goodbye to the queen i sobbed when i saw that because to me again that's something we lack in our country you know we we don't have that symbolism that we can all rally around and and celebrate i mean and it used to be god here too and we you know it, it, it feels like christianity is disappearing by the second as well. I think what you brought up is so important because that is, it's what, what in seeing what they have, this, this symbol, this, this queen that united them, um, we're missing something here because we've lost something probably over the last 10, 15 years, um, maybe less. And that is, you know, this, this central point, Christianity, the flag, patriotism, we're losing it. And maybe this is a reminder to us that we need to fight to bring that back. Love that. Absolutely. Well, Kinsey, I, I just think if anyone loves the Royals, if every, anyone loves, loves, it's it's not Sean. (laughs) You know what? I think you've won him over. I've, I have, he has been smiling this whole time. I'll tell you that Kinsey. Oh, 
and I, I, I think that you have won him over. And I just want to well, say, you, you, you had me at my final shirt on the real world. I want you to tell everyone where they can find you. Um, because if you love the Royals, if you love Princess Diana, if you love all the stuff that's coming out and want to follow it, uh, boy, is Kinsey Schofield the person. So just right now, just give yourself a big old plug. Tell all of our listeners where they can find you. Thank you so much. I have of course. to die for D.I. as in Diana to die for daily podcast and website to die for daily dot com. And I am a huge fan of the Duffy family. I'd love to get on the Christmas card list. I feel like it's one of those Christmas cards <laughs> oh, you display you're for 12 months on the refrigerator. <laughs> and I want I want one on my refrigerator. Okay, you, you know, know what? If you give if you give your address to our producers, I'm going to send you because I have an extra copy of our last year's card. I'm going to yes. send you last year's and put you on the list for this, this year. year. So I make I a big deal that. out of my Christmas cards. So. Wait, so you struck another path in Rachel's heart here. She loves doing our Christmas cards. I do. I spend a lot of time on the Christmas cards. Get Christmas a feel card. for the whole year. So thank you for that. I, you're going to do that, but let's again let's plug <laughs> Kinsey because she's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. To dieforedaily.com is where you can find me. Kinsey Schofield on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Everyone, you must go to those. She is my favorite royal correspondent. Um, I love Honestly, she knows all of it. And we're going to have videos. So we're going to have you back just so we can see the roses behind you. I Um, did this wall for you. This is my Rachel wall. I usually have my... um, I usually have my nighttime or my daytime backdrop, and I was like, oh, I, Rachel will like my flowers. I'm going so for flowers. So you know what? I thought you did the flowers for the queen, but well, wow, they're, I'm they're impressed. They are typically Rachel, my just no, royal commentator wallflowers. I love that. I love it. Keep the royal flowers going. It, it works. You look good in pink. All right. So, Kinsey, so great to have you at the kitchen table. You're amazing. Can't wait to have you back. Thank Thanks, you. Kinsey. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Listen, everyone, thanks for joining us at, at the kitchen table. Yeah, I want to like, thank uh, both Lila and yes. Kinsey. Um, Lila, so smart, so insightful. Kinsey, just so much fun, right? So much fun. So much fun. We got to have her back and um, at our kitchen table. And if you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, and boy, did we, um, let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.